Section 4 of The Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 9, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mary Beatrice of Modena, Chapter 2, Part 1. Five days after the solemnization of her espousals with the Duke of York, Mary Beatrice completed her fifteenth year, and it must be confessed that she conducted herself with no more regard for her newly acquired dignity as a bride than if she had been ten years younger. When the time was appointed for her to commence her journey to England, she cried and screamed two whole days and nights, and it was only by force that she could be kept in bed. Nothing, in fact, would pacify her till her mother consented to accompany her to England and the Duke, her brother, part of the way. The Earl of Peterborough, who does not appear to have been at all aware of these perversities on the part of the Virgin Duchess of York, and was by no means desirous of such additions to his traveling party, as would compel him to depart entirely from the program arranged both by the King and the Duke for the homeward journey, tried vainly to dissuade the Duchess of Modena from this resolution. He says, the time for the departure being come, the Duchess mother would by all means accompany her daughter into England, and it could not be diverted by any means, although it proved changeable to her, and of ill consequence to her concerns. Mary Beatrice, however, who had reason to know the real state of the case, told the nun of Chalot, who recorded these particulars from her own lips, that her passionate importunity prevailed over the extreme reluctance of the Duchess, her mother, to undertake so long a journey, which was extremely inconvenient to her as regent for her son, as she was thus in a manner compelled to leave the government in other hands. Her absence was unavoidably a month longer than she had by any means anticipated, and in the meantime a party was formed against her, which finally stripped her of her authority in the state, and caused an estrangement between her and the young duke, her son. I shall never cease, would Mary Beatrice say, when adverting to these circumstances, to reproach myself for my childish importunity, which led to such bad results for my mother. The Duke of York, in his paper of instructions to Lord Peterborough, expressly says, when the marriage shall be over, and you have adjusted all the manner of your coming into France, which journey will, I think, be most conveniently performed by sea to Marseilles, whither the galleys of the most Christian king will be ordered to bring her, and whither you must attend her, it will be fit that then, or before, you dismiss most of your retinue, lest their attendance may not consist with the figure the princess may probably desire to take of travelling incognito, or embarrass you in the conveniences of your journey, retaining only as many as will fill one coach, and thus follow her all the way, until she arrive at Paris or Calais, at one of which places my servants shall be appointed to attend upon her. Such was the prudent arrangement of the princely bridegroom for the journey of his bride to England, but Mary Beatrice, young as she was, having a will of her own, determined to travel overland under the protecting care of her mother and uncle and to leave her native city with some degree of eclat her plans superseded those of her new consort james had with great wisdom directed the earl's attention to a point of no small importance to his domestic comfort and the future popularity of his bride who as a catholic princess 
would he was well aware be regarded with jealous eyes by a very considerable party in england you will do your utmost he says to inculcate to the princess herself and the ministers there the great inconvenience that would follow her being attended by a numerous train of foreigners who are seldom so useful here as natives and are obnoxious to censure upon any miscarriages the quarrels that had threatened to destroy the conjugal happiness of his parents in consequence of their struggle about the french attendance of henrietta maria and the unhappiness of his royal sister-in-law queen catherine at the dismissal of her portuguese followers were not forgotten by james when he gave this order there were however three italian ladies of the highest rank madame molza madame montecuculi her daughter anna montecuculi and a lady of the name of Torini, who had been attached to the service of mary beatrice from her cradle and these in compliance with her earnest desire she was permitted to retain among her bedchamber appointments as duchess of york they attended her to england and they followed her fortunes through every vicissitude whether for good or ill with devoted fidelity till death madame molza was scarcely seventeen years of age at the time of her royal friend's espousals and the duchess of modena said laughingly that she and the duchess of york were both such young girls that they required an experienced matron to take care of them on their journey mary beatrice left modena under the protection of the earl of peterborough and his suite accompanied by the duchess regent her mother the duke of modena her brother her uncle prince rinaldo d'este and whatever was noble and considerable among their own people as well as many other persons of quality from other courts who came to show their respect to the house of este on this occasion and a very princely cortegio it was says his excellency that went with them out of modena after two days the young duke was persuaded to take leave of his sister and return he did it with all the repugnance of which an excellent nature can be capable they having been ever bred together with all that reciprocal kindness which nearness and merit could beget but the princess pursues lord peterborough was near being dissolved in tears she left her happy and delicious country with the kind of companions of her youth among whom she had been bred and all these perhaps for ever as indeed it proved to be her youth and innocence permitted her not to know whither it was she was to go to what kind of part nor among whom so compassion was to be allowed to her fears as well as to her reluctance and it was enough we could induce her to proceed and be comforted mary beatrice and the princely boy whom she regarded in the twofold light of her brother and her sovereign were at that guileless period of life when the links of kindred affection are more closely twined than at any other round hearts whose sensibilities are in their first exquisite bloom and as yet unblighted by intercourse with a selfish world no wonder that they who had been debarred by the restraining etiquettes imposed on children of their elevated station from forming other intimacies felt very keenly the pangs of rendering asunder the bonds of that sweet friendship which had united them from their cradles very frequently no doubt had the sorrowful bride to be reminded during that journey of the exhortation of the royal psalmist hearken o daughter and consider forget also thine own people and thy father's house
having passed then through her own country she entered the dominions of her kinsman the duke of parma who complimented the earl of peterborough with the present of a fine painting by parmigiano the subject of which is described by one of the effected cognoscenti of the last century as ceres standing with a most genteel air holding up wheat the royal bride was not forgotten on that occasion by his highness compliments and presents were showered upon her from all quarters as she proceeded on her sorrowful but festive progress through italy passing through milan they came at last into piedmont the dominions of the duke of savoy where says the earl of peterborough these princes were almost as it had been by spirits invisibly lodged and provided for after the most magnificent manner but ever at the expense of that generous duke nor was this all for having an extreme desire to see the beautiful young bride to whom he was nearly related his highness of savoy carried his gallantry so far as to come on horseback incognito to meet the fair travellers by the way as they were passing through his dominions and pretending to be one of his own knights stopped them and delivered a complimentary message as he said from the duke his master after talking with them a little while he made himself known and told mary beatrice that he thought she spoke very well and had answered him agreeably enough but said she when relating this adventure many years afterwards to the nuns of chalot he almost made me die with shame by telling me that he hoped my first child would be a girl that he might marry her to his son when they left his territories they were met by the officers of the king of france who accompanied them and defrayed all their expenses to paris bringing them to the arsenal which was appointed for their abode in that fortified palace celebrated in history as the official residence of the great sully where he so frequently feasted his royal friend and master henry of navarre the grandfather of the prince whom mary beatrice now called her lord she and the duchess her mother and their suite were entertained in a manner befitting their rank and his own magnificence at the charge of the king of france there also the earl of peterborough was lodged and a noble table kept for him and his attendants at the same king's expense the necessity of our repair into england continues his excellency now drew near but her royal highness here fell sick and her disease for all the power of medicine hung so upon her that for some weeks they were not able to think of her remove this illness was a dangerous fever which if not brought on by distress of mind and the force that had been put on her inclinations was doubtless aggravated by the change of climate and her dread of the completion of her marriage she kept her bed a fortnight and her convalescence was tedious she was anxious enough then to avoid all fatigue by maintaining a strict incognito but as soon as she began to recover her strength the king of france could not be persuaded from coming in state to pay her a visit to offer her those compliments and marks of respect which universal report had assured him were due to her royal qualities this drew on mary beatrice the necessity of visiting the queen of france and she was received by their majesties at versailles with all imaginable circumstances of honor and high consideration and there entertained with royal magnificence the queen of france returned the visit of her royal highness with all the forms prescribed by the rigor of etiquette state calls were also exchanged with all the great princesses allied to the royal family 
wherein was much circumspection to be used about punctilios and formalities wearisome work of course it was and attended with much vexation of spirit to persons uninitiated to all the intricate minutiae of claims privileges and precedences insisted upon by the numerous members of the haughty demi-royalty of france under the ancient regime and to make the matter more perplexing it was necessary that the duchess of york should accord to each of those ladies the full measure of attention to which she was entitled without lessening her own dignity by undue condescensions happily however for her she was treated with peculiar indulgence and consideration as the adopted daughter of the king of france and on account of her tender age and inexperience mediums were found and expedients practised for satisfying all pretensions and avoiding all offences mademoiselle de montpensier and her half-sister madame de guise the latter of whom was as the reader will remember an unsuccessful candidate for the hand of the duke of york were among those who came in state to call on his italian bride and she returned their visits in due form the beauty and graceful deportment of mary beatrice excited the greatest admiration in the french court and she was complimented by the king with very royal presents the jewels which she had already received from the earl of peterborough as a bridal offering from her unknown consort the duke of york amounting in value to twenty thousand pounds sterling enabled her to appear with all the magnificence befitting the rank to which her marriage had elevated her among european princesses charms like hers however required not the aid of elaborate decorations and her own classical taste disposed her to prefer a general simplicity of attire except on these occasions when the etiquette of royal ceremonials compelled her to assume the glittering trappings of a state toilette while mary beatrice was receiving all these flattering attentions at paris and versailles and probably endeavouring by every possible excuse to delay her dreaded journey a strong party in england was labouring to prevent her coming at all the object of that party was the annoyance of the duke of york by exciting a popular ferment against his innocent young bride under the ready pretext of religion i say the pretext for the person by whom it was the most vehemently urged was the earl of shaftesbury a known infidel he was at that time the secret counsellor and very soon afterwards the acknowledged leader of a faction made up of the relics of the old commonwealth allied with a new generation who were determined to get the executive power of government into their own hands by establishing a republic under the shadow of a monarchy this design they were well aware they never could hope to accomplish so long as the duke of york maintained his influence in his royal brother's councils and that popularity with the people which his public services had won it was he says the earl of peterborough who encouraged the king's faithful friends and his fainting ministers and it was in him alone that the enemies of the crown found resistance he made them desperate at last and they saw it was impossible to accomplish their designs without his ruin this did seem a great undertaking to destroy a prince such as he was in his birth in his merits and virtues and in the esteem of all just and reasonable men but the zeal of those commonwealth men made them find nothing impossible their resolution was great in this particular their malice greater and their cunning greater than either they knew the admirable qualities of this prince they knew his valour justice temperance 
his love of business, his indefatigableness in all honorable undertakings. They knew also that against a man so qualified, no truth could prevail. They were then resolved to have recourse to falsehood, and, pursues the honest old cavalier, warming with the remembrance of the unfounded calumnies that had been heaped on his royal friend, into a climax of uncontrollable indignation. And to the devil, the father of liars, one of whose chief favorites was become Sir Anthony Ashley Cooper, the late Earl of Shaftesbury. His Royal Highness being perfectly aware that the next contest which these political religionists were preparing to fight against him would be on the question of his marriage with the Princess of Modena, had taken his measures accordingly, and, through the energetic proceedings of his faithful friend, the Earl of Peterborough, the treaty for this alliance had been so promptly and quietly settled that the party were perfectly taken by surprise when at the meeting of parliament on the twentieth of october they addressed the king on the subject by saying that they had heard with regret that a marriage between the duke of york and the princess of modena was thought of and petitioned his majesty not to allow it to proceed charles replied briefly and dryly that their remonstrances came too late, the alliance matter to which they alluded was not only thought of, but done. The duke, his brother, was already married to the princess of Modena, and she was on her journey to England. This announcement threw the commons into a flame. They immediately voted an address to the king, praying him to send and stop the princess at Paris in order to prevent the consummation of her marriage with the duke of York. Charles replied, that he could not in honor dissolve a marriage that had been solemnly executed. The commons, infuriated at the royal declaration, concluded a series of angry votes by petitioning the king to appoint a day of general fasting that God might advert the dangers with which the nation was threatened. Charles graciously granted them permission to fast as much as they pleased, although aware that the proposition of such an observance was not intended for a humiliation to themselves, but as an especial contempt for the Italian bride. The next day, being the anniversary of the gunpowder plot, the popular pageant of burning Guy Fawkes and the Pope were played off with more than wanted vivacity by the London princesses, attended with various circumstances and allusions, tending to mark their displeasure at the Duke of York's change of creed and his popish marriage as they styled it, regardless of the fact that it had been contracted not only without the Pope's license, but positively in defiance of his authority. The cabinet of King Charles II took the alarm, and the Earl of Arlington implored His Majesty either to prevent the departure of the Princess of Modena from Paris, or to insist that James, after his marriage, should withdraw from court and lead the life of a country gentleman. The king replied, that the first was incompatible with his honor, and the second would be an indignity to his brother. While these stormy scenes, on her account, were agitating the nation and court, over which she was one day to preside as queen, the reluctant bride left Paris, and commenced her journey to the sea coast. She traveled in state, and in all the towns and provinces through which she passed, she was met and received by the governors and local authorities with the same respect as if she had been queen of france louis the fourteenth's officers defrayed all the expenses of this pompous progress till she came to the water's edge 
the vessels that had been appointed by king charles for her passage to england were waiting for her at calais where on the twenty first of november she embarked in the catherine yacht with her mother her uncle and all who had attended her from italy the royal bride crossed the channel with a prosperous breeze and towards evening arrived at dover the duke of york with becoming gallantry was on the sands to give his new consort a personal welcome to england and when she came to shore he received her in his arms the beauty the timidity and the innocence of the royal bride rendered such an occurrence doubtless a spectacle of exciting interest to the honest seafaring population of dover the manly squires of kent and the gentle ladies who thronged the strand that day to obtain a sight of the new duchess and the ceremonial of her landing james was charmed as well he might be with the surpassing grace and loveliness of the consort his friend the earl of peterborough had chosen for him on her landing says the earl she took possession of his heart as well as his arms of her emotions his lordship for obvious reasons does not speak mary beatrice in after years acknowledged that she did not like her lord at first what girl of fifteen ever did like a spouse five and twenty years her senior princesses are rarely so fortunate as to be allowed the privilege of a negation in matters of the kind but the fair d'este had not submitted to the hard fate of female royalty without a struggle and now it should seem that she had not sufficient self-control to conceal her feelings under deceitful smiles she is even said to have betrayed a childish aversion to the duke at their first interview some men would have hated her and rendered the union forever miserable by a manifestation of evil temper on the occasion the sailor prince knew better well qualified as he was to play the wooer successfully to ladies of all ages he wisely took no notice of discouraging symptoms in so young a creature but professing himself dazzled by the beauty of her eyes he led her with courtly attention to her lodgings and left her with her mother to take a little repose after the discomposure of her voyage brief time had she for rest and none for reflection the fatigue and excitement of the state toilet awaited her in preparation for another agitating scene the solemn confirmation of her espousals with the duke by the bishop of oxford who had attended his royal highness from london for that purpose the greatest difficulty perhaps with which historians have to contend is the discrepancy of statements between equally credible witnesses of the same fact the account given by the duke of york of the ceremonial of his marriage with mary d'este at dover is very different from that recorded by his proxy the earl of peterborough james says she landed at dover the twenty first of november dr crew married them declaring that by proxy a lawful marriage the compiler of james's life from the stuart papers details the manner in which this was done the same evening the duke and duchess of york and the duchess of modena with their attendants the earl of peterborough being also present being assembled together in the state drawing-room the bishop of oxford asked the duchess of modena and the earl of peterborough whither the said earl had married the duchess of york as proxy of the duke which they both affirming the bishop then declared it was a lawful marriage from the above statements which as far as they went were probably true dr lingard and others have inferred that no other ceremony took place but it is certain that neither james nor his biographer have related the whole of the circumstances 
the latter because he found no further record in his authorities while james perhaps omitted mentioning the church of england marriage service from a foolish repugnance to acknowledging that he resorted to the rites of that church for the confirmation of his wedlock with a princess of the romish faith the plain fact was that even to roman catholics it was a matter of expediency to legalize by such rites a marriage which the pope had forbidden and james was perfectly alive to the necessity of taking due precautions for securing beyond the possibility of dispute the legitimate claims of the male issue of this alliance to the royal succession his royal highness says the earl of peterborough who had provided so to confirm this matter as the malice of any age to come should have no pretence to call it in question led out his duchess into his great room before his bedchamber and there in presence of all the lords who had attended him from london of all the country gentlemen who were come to see him and what it could contain of the citizens of dover he married again his wife after the forms of the church of england by the hands of dr nathaniel crew at this time bishop of durham after which they supped together and the marriage was lawfully completed the same night james honored the ancient customs of the land over which he expected to rule by admitting a portion of the honest true-hearted classes in which the strength of a monarch depends to witness the solemnization of his marriage with a princess whom he had taken to wife in the hope of her becoming the mother of a line of kings it was sound policy in him not to make that ceremonial and exclusive show for the courtiers who had attended him from london and the foreigners who notwithstanding his prudent caution to the earl of peterborough had accompanied his italian consort to england he knew the national jealousy the national pride of his countrymen and that their affections are easily won but more easily lost by those who occupy high places that they are terrible in their anger but just in their feelings their crimes being always imputed to the arts of those by whom their feelings are perverted to the purposes of faction or bigotry the english are moreover a sight-loving people and for the most part inclined to regard the principal actors in a royal pageant with feelings of romantic enthusiasm it was therefore well calculated to increase his popularity and counteract the malice of his enemies for the sailor prince to take so excellent an opportunity for interesting their generous sympathies in favor of the innocent young creature against whom the republican faction was endeavoring to raise a general persecution it is a little singular that among the numerous spectators gentle and simple courtly and quaint who witnessed the landing of mary beatrice that day and afterwards the royal ceremonial of her marriage with the heir of the crown not one should have left any little graphic record of the events of the day with details of the dress and deportment of the bride and her reception of the english ladies the manner and order of the supper with many other minor observances connected with the costume of those times which his excellency of peterborough has considered it beneath the dignity of an ambassador to chronicle although few ambassadors have recorded so many pleasant adventures as he has done why was not that most minutely circumstantial of all diarists samuel pepys at the wedding of his royal master the duke of york to count the pearls on the bride's stomacher and to tell us how rich and rare was the quality of her white and silver petticoat and to marvel at the difference between her sylph-like figure and the obesity of her portly predecessor anne hyde 
the ring with which james wedded mary of modena was a small ruby set in gold she showed it to the nuns of chalot in the days of her sorrowful widowhood days of her exile and poverty and said it was impossible for her to part with it for it was her marriage ring which was given her when she arrived in england by her royal husband then duke of york and therefore she valued it more than the diamond which according to the custom of her country she received on the day of her espousals at modena she evidently regarded it as the pledge of a more sacred contract though solemnized with the rites of the reformed church the noble proxy concludes his pithy history of the marriage of mary beatrice in these words and here the earl of peterborough ended this great service which through many difficulties brought to the duke the fairest lady in the world and to england a princess of the greatest example and virtue the countess of peterborough was appointed to the highest office in the household and her daughter the young duchess of norfolk made one of the ladies of the bedchamber during the two days that james remained at dover with his bride one of his pretended friends the earl of berkshire advised him to write to the king his brother requesting leave to withdraw from public life and to retire with his new duchess to audley end or some other country residence where he might enjoy her society and hunt and pray without any offence to others or disquiet to himself james thanked him for his good meaning but told him that unless his majesty should command him to the contrary he would always wait upon him and do him what service he could it was not his intention to gratify his foes by burying himself and his beautiful bride in the obscurity of country life he was justly proud of her charms and determined that she should make her public entrance into london in a manner befitting the consort of the heir presumptive of the realm and although the season of the year was anything but favourable for showing off an aquatic pageant in such a climate as england to a native of italy he resolved on bringing her in triumph up the thames to whitehall end of section four